I'm not going to let this stop me. I allowed myself this time to feel sorry for myself and pick myself back up and just say, now I have this extra motivation of, I know there are people who think I'm done, but now I'm going to keep going to show them that I'm not. So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time that we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, so welcome to the podcast. Today, I have a super inspiring guest speaker. Uh, she is an author. She's an activist. She is a motivational speaker. She's a YouTuber like myself. Um, and she was born as only one of two people in the world with an extremely rare congenital disease, MPL syndrome. And yet, she had a vision. She had a dream. She had a goal. And it was really put on the map in 2014 when she did her first TED Talk, which was called, uh, How Do You Define Yourself? I watched it three times this morning and once last night with my wife. And the message, it's obvious why it's nearly at 10 million views and it probably should be at four or 500 million views. So make sure you go there and watch it. Uh, this woman is inspiring on steroids. So I am just super stoked to introduce you to Lizzie Velasquez. So Lizzie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. That was so nice what you said. Well, listen, I mean, I, you know, I, and I have to give a big shout out to Brenda over here on my team who was like, oh my God, guess who I got on the show? She was just out of her mind. <laughs> so funny. We might have to bring her into the interview. So just Brenda, be ready at, at some point. Um, so first of all, congrats on your fourth book. I know it came out a while ago. Um, so, so, you know, this concept of daring to be kind, if someone truly understands your backstory, which I, I'd love for us to get into today. Um, I, I think it makes more sense before we talk about the book. So, so Lizzie, take a minute and just share a little bit about your story. Yeah, so I'm a born and raised Texas girl in Austin. Um, and I was born, like you said, with the rare syndrome. I wasn't officially diagnosed until the age of 25. Um, and I'll be 31 next month. So it, you know, came along a lot later. We, I mean, we never thought that I would... I never thought that I was actually going to get an official diagnosis, um, but I was born two pounds, 10 ounces. Um, I had to be born immediately because the doctors had did an ultrasound and realized that I had stopped growing. Uh, so when they did the C-section, I came out and I had no amniotic fluid around me. So they have no idea how I came out alive and screaming. And I think that was like the first like testament of what my life was going to be like. Um, but I was my parents' first child. And so they took me away, took me to the nursery or whatever, um, right away and they took a Polaroid picture and showed that picture to my mom and said, we want, we want you to see the picture first because you'll probably be too scared to see her in person. And she pushed it away and she was like, bring her to me right now. And so basically I was just very, very small. My dad said he could fit me, my whole body basically in one hand. Um, and other than that, my skin was very translucent and you could see a lot of my veins, which you still can now. Um, but all the tests they were running came back completely normal. Um, everything was normal, except I was just so small. 
So I was kept in the NICU for about six weeks and that was mostly just to keep me warm because I was so tiny. Yeah. Um, and back then there wasn't Google or there wasn't like medical books that have, you know, what I was later told that I have, which looking, when I do, when I say that, I realize that doctors even now today, even though there is Google now, they don't diagnose you via Google, hopefully not. But um, I, when I came out and, you know, I looked so different and had all these possible negative obstacles stacked against me, they of course prepared my parents for the worst and said, she's not going to be able to do anything on her own. You're going to have to take care of her the rest of her life. And all of this was based on just looking at me because medically everything else was fine. Uh, so they took me home and raised me to the best of their ability and raised me completely normally in the sense that they loved me and encouraged me and you know did all these normal things i know i keep saying normal but they did all these regular things uh that i think parents would do um and so growing up they took me to see a lot of different genetic doctors and when i was younger it was more of my mom really wanting to get more answers um I mean, the biggest thing when I was growing up that we noticed was different was that my immune system was a lot weaker and smaller. Um, so I got sick really easily. We found out when I was four years old that I was blind of my right eye. Um, but other than that, once again, everything was pretty normal. And so they just could not figure out why I can't gain weight. And so we tried almost anything you can think of, we tried to do to make me to gain weight. And I'm still to this day the pickiest eater ever. So all of that was just miserable to me. Um, we tried like shakes and, and a special diet and all of these things and nothing was working. Come on, I remember hearing the stories of the college days where you're like eating Twinkies and Skittles. I still eat like that. I still, that's still, that's still me. <laughs> I, I went out to eat with my brother and sister last week. And we were talking about the fact that I've never had a salad in my life. And I don't think I ever will. And my brother said he hadn't either. And so I figured, well, maybe it's just not a me thing. But anyway, um, as I got older and I was still continuing to go to see different genetic doctors, it was always, you have this criteria for this syndrome, but you don't have enough of these things to say, yes, this is what you have. So you have a little bit of this, but then you don't qualify because you don't have this. So I still let this normal life of growing up, going to kindergarten, you know, elementary school. My dad was a new teacher at the time. So he was also at my elementary school. Um, so I did have, you know, we did have to be careful because I was smaller. I'm not fragile whatsoever, but it was just taking things day by day because it wasn't like, be prepared because this is going to happen at this age or at this stage. So once I became to the age where I was more aware of my situation and more able to vocalize how I felt about going to see different genetic doctors, my parents really left it up to me um, because I hated it. I hated going. I felt like... How old were you at this point? Um, middle school. Okay. So still pretty, pretty young to be able to say, okay, I've had enough. Like, Oh like, yeah. Did you have, yeah. Did... I mean, we would, I think around that time, preteen age, of course, you're going to go against 
anything yeah. that you're told to do, whether it's a doctor or not. Um, yeah. And that's definitely what it was. But I think also during that time, they, they listened to what I said. They listened to me saying, I feel like I just go for them to stare at me and poke at me and I hate it. And I would go once a year, every year. So this was our compromise. You're just going to go. We're going to go to see your doctor in Dallas and we'll stay there for, you know, four or five days and do tests and that's it. So we would do little things where they would compromise with me, uh, even though I still hated it. And it was still the exact same thing, even when I was born, that we were still doing all these tests and still nothing was changing at all. And there were still no answers. And once I started high school, that's when my parents were really like, this is up to you now. We're just going to take your, your lead, what you want to do. You've been doing this for so long. And so it got to a point where I just said, I don't want a magic cure. I don't want to have surgery. That'll change me. I'm, I need to figure out how I just, how I need to accept and live in the body that I'm in. And if we go to all these doctors, they're going to just keep saying, let's try this or try that. And, and I don't want to do it. I just wanted a break. So yeah. they decided that they agreed and they said, we're going to go ahead and, you know, give this a break for a while. And when you're ready, then we'll talk about it again. And little did I know after going on the Today Show, I think that was like my freshman year of college that I had went on the Today Show and a wife um, was watching the news and she saw me and she showed the clip to her husband, who's a genetic doctor based in Houston. They reached out. Um, long story. Okay, hold on. Hold on, Lizzie. Hold on. You got to back up though first. I go to high school. I tell my parents, no more doctors. I'm tired of being poked at and yada. I just, I got to be comfortable in my own skin. And then I'm on the Today Show. Something happened in the middle of this. I just realized that. That's so I was like, and because, you know, everyone as a freshman in high school is invited to be on the Today Show. Well, that part goes, this part just goes with the, with the medical part. Got so it. that's how I got to that, Doc. I got. I know. I'm. I'm playing with you. I told you I'm either the best or worst interviewer on the planet. It makes sense, though. I'm so used to. I just like see the map in my head, and I see these like bullet points that like don't make sense. Like, how did you get from here to here? Um, but he, this doctor whose wife just randomly saw me in the show, he ended up being the one to officially diagnose me. So when you when you were diagnosed, and I am going to come back to the Today Show. When you were diagnosed, like, did that change the definition you had for yourself? In the beginning, yes. Um, mostly because I saw myself as this question mark for so many years. Sure. And then I started thinking, well, if I'm going to have this, this answer now, now I'm going from this question mark and Am I either going to now be a period or am I going to be an exclamation point? And I knew that that decision was going to be made up by me. Um, but I didn't know how, how do I get to that point? Like how, how will I now define myself? Because I've defined myself as I'm Lizzie Velasquez. I'm this girl with an undiagnosed syndrome. This is what I do, blah, blah, blah. Like that was my thing. And so then I started thinking, well, if I have an answer now, Am I going to lose credibility for what, for what I'm doing, like for work or are people not going to be inspired by me? And so looking back, it's all these thoughts that were just like so irrational, 
But when we got the diagnosis, um, I was right in the middle of filming my documentary and it was completely unplanned. And I was given the choice of, do you want to put this in or do you not? And I knew that if I didn't include it and it got out somewhere, I wouldn't have the control of telling it. So I, of course, said yes, I want it on camera. I'm so happy that I did. But we went and I think I was more, I was so busy and so my mind was just on a million different things at all times that it was like, okay, we're going here to do this, here to do this, and now I'm going to go home and we're all going to drive to Houston and we're going to do the appointment. Okay, get the answer. Let's go. What am I doing tomorrow? And that's how it was for even a few months after that uh, because I just didn't have time and I don't think I really wanted to take that time to really process you know you now know what what's going on well and then it's a it's a label that if you don't define it appropriately it could be a label that immediately you know think of all the classic labels that people put on themselves I can't or I am or you know not good enough not smart enough etc 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 that defines who they are now we're getting into the stuff that I really I wanted to dig in this but I want to I want to back up first and I want you to shed some light on two things because it'll give greater context to uh, a few of the questions I want uh, I want you to answer today Um, so so one and you can you can pick whichever direction you want to go one is it could it could be argued that you are one of the most positive, optimistic people on the planet. And some would say no one would feel bad for her because of if she wasn't positive, because of how much cyberbullying and bullying and just just ignorance that you've had to deal with in your life. So so talk to us about that. Like I think everyone listening has had an experience in their life where things didn't go their way or, or someone said something that bothered them or said somebody said something to them that they carried around for years. It, you know, in your Ted talk, you, you talked about using this negativity almost as fuel for greatness in your life. Can you shed some light on that? I mean, I, I, I guess with age comes more experience and more wisdom. And a few years ago, Yes, I would be seen as this person who is so optimistic and so positive at all times. But the reality is I was showing you what I wanted you to see. And I was the one who was saying, yes, I'm positive all the time. Yes, it's going to be okay. Like I was the one saying this, but the reality is that was not my reality. Yes, it's a huge part of my life. And yes, it is my truth, but I'm human. And there are days where I wake up and I'm like, I'm not going to be happy today. And I'm just letting it go. And before I would hide that like big time. And I would absolutely, I would do whatever I could to make sure the image or the story or the message that I was putting out, whether it was in person or online was happy. Even though I knew I'm posting this thing on Instagram about being positive and I'm crying while I'm posting it because I'm sad about something else. And so for many years, I thought if I am now going to sort of be on this pedestal of inspiration, that's the only thing that I can show because that's what people are wanting and needing and, you know, apparently liking. 
And it got to a point where I was putting out so much that I wasn't getting anything in to me. And so I was like, I cannot say it's going to get better one more time. I cannot say just ignore it. It'll be fine one more time. And so it finally got to a point where I had to really just look in the mirror and say, you are human. It's okay to doubt yourself. It's okay to feel like things are never going to get better. All these things are normal. And slowly but surely, I started being able to, I remember I I wasn't ready to like put it out in social media. So I started testing the waters when I would go do my speeches. And I would throw in like a little story of like a time where I was really struggling or something that happened that nobody knew about. And I got a really good reaction. And I noticed that I was feeling like I was having my own therapy in a way. And I was getting this place, this safe place to be able to go and tell all of these strangers, you know, something very vulnerable about me. And so I went from being able to do that in my speeches to then now being at a point where I can be my most authentic and vulnerable self on any platform, anywhere and in person. It's pretty liberating. Oh, it is. It is. It feels so good to be able to just say, you know what, here's the situation. This is how I feel. What really matters here is how I handle it tomorrow. Yeah. My, uh, my first speech coach, God bless him is, uh, this guy, Ron Arden. And he would say, you know, if all you do is go out and act positive, 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 eventually everybody's going to say that person's full of you know what, right? He said, but if you're vulnerable and you speak truth or you tell stories that, you know, where you got punched in the face, where it didn't work out, where you didn't get the sale, where life didn't go your way, you're just more real because that, because everyone deals with it. You, but, but but Lizzie, I want to go back, but you dealt with an obnoxious amount of ignorance and I don't want to use the word hate, but hate is an appropriate word based upon some of the things that were said about you. How did you get through that? Um, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different ways. I think there was a lot of factors that played into me getting through all of that. And I think I always say that it's my faith, my family, and my friends. Like those are the three main pillars in my life that have gotten me through anything and everything. And I'm so grateful for that. But I think being able to go out and tell my story and, you know, do all of these things, it has been great, but it's also really opened my eyes to the fact that, yes, I have had to deal with a lot, but I am only one person and I am only one story. And what I had to deal with was a lot because it was in the public eye and it was easier access for people to get to. So at the time, it felt like this is the worst thing. Nobody is going to know what this is like. I'm like, why is all the hate coming towards me? When in reality, there's people all over the world every day going through the same amount of, you know, hate and discrimination and, and things like this. And it might not be at the same level. It might not be in the same way, but the way it makes you feel, everyone can relate to that and everyone knows what that's like. So whether I was called the world's ugliest woman on YouTube or someone sends you a mean tweet, those are very different, but we both know the pain that they could cause. So that I think for me was something I really had to come to terms with 
uh, and realize and sort of step back and look at the bigger picture because I was feeling so sorry for myself for so long and it wasn't getting me anywhere. Like nothing was changing. And so I wanted to be able to show people, this is who I am. Even though 4 million people saw this and now believe that I'm, you know, this horrible person and all these people are commenting and, and saying all these things about me, they are not going to be the ones who introduce me to the rest of the world. If I want to introduce myself to the world, I have to do something to show them, hey, I'm Lizzie, blah, 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 something positive, not, hey, I'm Lizzie, I'm the girl from that awful video. We could stop the interview right here and just play that last five minutes seven more times in a row because I guarantee the the you know the person listening right now on a train or on the at the gym or you know with their kids that everybody I mean I'm watching my whole team we can all relate to that moment right and your your sort of level of higher conscious where you finally realize hey everybody deals with this stuff I can only deal with it for so long and, and suffer in it for so long before eventually like it just starts to consume me in a negative way I just got to let it go Right. So we're going to get into we're going to get into that. And I'm going to I'm going to transition to a lighter subject because we're going to come back to some of this. Um, the Today Show. How, um, how'd that happen? That's actually OK. I haven't been on the Today Show. If you got contacts, you know, Lizzie, hook hook me up. What's I got to do this story? You're going to the story is really funny and I haven't told it in a while. So looking back, I like I, I forgot how it happened. But I I was in my senior year of high school and I had got approached by a magazine in the UK. I don't remember who it was, um, but they emailed me and said, we heard your story. And, and leading up to this, I had done, you know, local things like telling my story and things like that. Nothing like big. Um, and so they emailed me and said, we'd love to do an article about you. Can we talk to you on the phone? So I did like an hour and a half phone interview with this reporter and it went well, there was no issues. About a week later, I'm sent the, like a, the magazine, like a copy of it. And I open it and it's a huge story. And the headline was, girl must eat every 15 minutes or she'll die. <laughs> Nothing sensational about that. And I was so confused because like I said, I talked to her for an hour and a half I never ate while we were talking and I'm pretty sure I didn't die during the conversation. So it was one of these things I was like, I was annoyed, but also like, well, it's in the UK, like, you know, no one's going to see it here. And I could not have been more wrong because sure. within the next like couple of days, it spread like wildfire and completely went viral and came to America before like anything. And so I was being flooded with emails of people saying, we want to talk to the girl who has to eat every 15 minutes. Yes. And so it, it was just like, it was very overwhelming. And I remember there was a day that I was home at my parents' house. I was home alone and I got, this was back when like everyone used landlines and the phone rang and it said NBC Universal. And I was like, I should probably answer this. So I answered it and it was a producer from the Today Show. And they were like, we saw your story. We saw the headline. We'd love to talk to you. And in that moment, it was like time froze. 
And I thought either option A is to go along with this and say, yes, I'm her. Please send me to New York and put me on your show. Or I could say option B, the headline is wrong. Do you still want to talk to me? And I missed out on the opportunity. So obviously I chose option A <laughs> and said, yes, I am her. You're like, hold on, I'm eating right now before I die. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so I hung up and she was like, we want to like, bring you and your family out. And so I was so excited. And I called my dad and he didn't answer. I called my mom and she answered and she was like, hey, I'm busy. Can I call you back? And like, they're like, they have no idea what's going on. So they called, my mom finally called me back and I was like, mom, we got asked to go on the Today Show. We're going to go. And like, she was really excited. And within like three minutes, she was like, did you clean the kitchen? Like remembering what she told me to do that day. And I'm like, thanks mom. Thanks for keeping me humble. But, um, so we ended up going on the show and I told the producers, you know, this isn't true. So I was able to really just it ended up being really good because I did have this like incredibly large platform to be able to say, this isn't right. This is who I am, but you know, things like that. So that's how that happened. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. That's great. So, so from there though, it seems like you, you just had moments leading up to that Ted talk. So talk about, talk about the Ted talk and then what was the impact of that? Cause that, you know, again, watching it, you know, ear is small, this thing keeps falling out. It's Um, all good. What, what was the impact of that Ted talk on your life, your business? I mean, you were already out speaking at this point. Yes, I was. So I started speaking professionally around 2008-ish. Um, again, I'd been speaking locally uh, yeah. and then eventually was getting bigger requests. So my freshman year of college, uh, it's like 2008, I was going to school full-time and then I'd fly out on the weekends to go speak and work on my first book and then come home and do it all over again. Um, so I had been speaking for a while. So I want to say it was October of 2013. I got emails um, with the subject line that said TEDx woman something. At this point, I had never heard of TEDx before, ever. And the way that it was typed out, I thought it was spam. So I ignored it. And they kept emailing me. And I was like, Dad, I keep getting these emails about this TED thing. And I don't know what it is. And he freaked out and he was like, are you kidding? And I guess there was like a, an article in the Austin paper about it being the first woman event. And, and when he read it, he thought, I wonder if they're going to ask you know, me to do it. So here I am, not, I thought thinking it's spam. Yeah. Um, and so I finally replied and I was set to do it. And in the TED world, there are a lot of rules and guidelines to where you have to like send in, you know, exactly what you're gonna say and outline and plan it. And 
at that point, so this was in 2013. So at this point, I had already developed my style of speaking to where I do not plan ever um, because I just end up overthinking and, you know, I, I just don't. I just think, here's my topic and this is how I'm going to get there. And so having to like plan it out was very difficult for me. And I'm known for changing my mind last minute about what I'm going to talk about. Um, so we planned it, we planned the speech and I almost missed it. The like actual Ted event because I was speaking in Boston and I came home the day before we were supposed to do it and we had all these delays and it was this whole thing. Again, I still don't realize the scope of what a TED talk is. Um, I think even if I did, I don't think it would have like changed anything because I look at every event the same way. Um, but so we planned it out and I was planning it out with um, one of the girls, women who was putting it on and producing and we'd never met before. And we were, I don't even remember what I was originally going to talk about. I don't know. Um, so we planned it out and normally as a speaker, you don't get to sit in the audience. And so you don't really get to hear like other speakers. So the day comes and I was going to speak in the afternoon and the woman putting it on who ended up directing my um, documentary, Sarah Bordeaux, uh, she came up to me. This was like the second time she and I had ever met. And she said, would you mind closing out the day? Again, I still don't realize that being the closing speaker of a TED thing is a big deal. So I just thought, yeah, sure, I don't mind. So I sat in the audience from 8 a.m. until the afternoon and I got to watch everybody. And so I sort of just soaked in everything that they were saying. So it comes to my turn to go up and I'm you know, standing next to the girl that I planned with. And I looked at her and I said, do you trust me? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I'm going to throw out everything we talked about. And she said, okay. And then they called my name and, and I went up. How do you define yourself? I have no clue where that came from. I've never talked about that. I've never, I, I, I don't know. It just sort of came out of my mouth. And I told myself, just pretend you're talking to your best friend. And they had bust in a group of high school girls from an all girls school and they were sitting in the front of the audience. So in my TED talk, I'm talking to them. Is, is that the girl you kept saying, hey, this is the table I wanted to be sitting at? Yeah, yeah, that was them. Yeah, it was a group of girls. And so there's parts of my TED talk where I lose my train of thought and that's because I was just talking and it wasn't a plan. So every year I do at least one speech in December and then I take the rest of the month off and then start again in January. So this speech was my last speech of the year. I did it. I thought it was fun. I felt good about it. And I went home and I ordered Chinese food and called it a day. And now I just get to relax the rest of the month. A week later, it was posted online. And that's when absolutely everything changed. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it was all bonkers. for me just talking, which was like the craziest part. Yeah, but you also had some very funny, you know, moments in that. Even, even you know, as a speaker, like, to be vulnerable and say, okay, I just completely forgot what I was talking about. All right, I, I just, you know, I went blank for a second. And you were saying stuff like that. It was like, it was so raw and real. It's one of those things where 
I do that now because I I like to remind people like if you're going up and you're going to go do a speech in front of five people or thousands of people, if you were to ask someone to come up from the audience, they would feel the exact same nerves that you're going through as well. So if you just break down that barrier of I'm not talking at you, I'm talking with you. And if we're having a regular conversation, I'm going to mess up in the conversation. So I'm going to acknowledge if I'm doing it now. And if I mess up and I try to like correct it or backtrack it, it's just going to be awkward and weird for everybody. So for me to be able to say like, that's not what I meant to say, or I forgot what I was saying, or can can you help me out? Like doing things like that just makes you feel so more con makes me feel more connected yeah. with the audience. More real. So let's, okay, let's transition and let's talk about uh, this book and specifically the conversation around kindness. Um, so the first thing, I mean, obviously you talk about kindness begins at the home. So would you shed some light on that? Because I know someone's listening to this right now and I'd, I'd really like you to, I'd like you to speak to the person that is maybe in their mind in a toxic relationship, in a, maybe the house isn't the way they they'd like the environment to be how do they take what's inside this book and and start changing the energy and changing the the negativity if you will into something more positive so this book is my fourth book but i ever since i i wrote it i knew that this it feels like my first book it feels like the first book that is so authentically me and real and i learned i've learned a lot of lessons from being able to travel all over and meeting people. And one of the biggest questions in the process of writing this book was telling people, this is, you know, here was my problem. Here's how I got through it. And it was my support system and people I had at home. But I had that reminder of what if people don't have that at home? Who do they have in their house? If it's not a mom or a dad or a sibling or you know, there's so many different circumstances. So when you're in that position, what is your advice on how they can, you know, get to the path that I've been on? And at first I was honestly, I didn't know what to say because I never had to really be in that space of not having someone there for me. And I realized how incredibly blessed I am to be able to say that because there's so many people who can't. So for me to put myself in that situation, I'm very grateful for because it opened my eyes to a lot more and gave me a lot more understanding of other people. And so I needed to really listen instead of being the one who was talking. I needed to be the person who was listening and hearing the stories of, I'm really struggling at home I want to be positive, but you know, my, my family's negative all the time. What can I do? And so I, I've always said this, I will only give advice on things that I've experienced personally and things that have worked for me and share things that haven't worked for me. If I've never been in that situation, I don't want you to like exactly quote what I'm saying, if that makes sense. I'm not a professional in every aspect. And so I started realizing the power of one the power of one person. And so I look back at where, where I started. I started after finding a video that someone posted about me when I was 17 years old. I lived in, you know, a small home in South Austin. I didn't know 
big celebrities. We weren't wealthy. I didn't have all these resources at whenever I wanted. All it took was me saying, I went home one day and said, I have to change this. And so for me to be able to see that I started out just like so many people and it worked, it wasn't easy and it's taking a long time and I'm still on this path of whatever, but I've seen firsthand the power of what. So if you are at home and you are around people that are negative or you don't, you want, you feel like you need like a more positive lesson, it starts with you. Because I could, you know, be sitting here right now and people are listening to my voice and I can give you all of this advice, but it is not going to mean anything unless you yourself says, okay, I am going to open myself up to this challenge or this change. And I'm going to be willing to not only take the advice from others, but I'm going to put forth the effort to implement what I'm being told. So I could sit here and tell you, you are one person and you can change things around, but how far is that gonna get if you're not that one person at home who's doing something? So what I would recommend, cause I recommend this, this is something that I always talk about online. If you see something that's negative, instead of fighting fire with fire, just end it. If you feel like you have to be someone who you have to say something, don't feel like you have to have the last word. Reply with, I respect how you feel, whether you do or you, you don't, it doesn't matter. Respect how they feel, say your point, and that's it. And it might feel like you're accomplishing nothing, but what you're doing is you're stopping the cycle of hate. And if you're able to do, to do that once, the more you do that online, the more you're going to be able to take that out into the real world. Yeah, love it. Love it. The power of one. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting too when you say that. I, I talk a lot about choose your heart and I'll use it sort of in the context of like, you know, it's hard to make phone calls and it's hard to also be in sales and not make phone calls because you make no money, right? So it's it's this sort of dichotomy like, everything is hard. It's hard to be in a negative environment and, and do something about it. And it's hard to be in a negative environment and do nothing about it. Choose your heart. So I feel like so many people are like, do you feel like what you're doing is even making a difference? Cause people are still being bullied every day. Yeah. And my answer is yes, I definitely do. But at the same time, if bullying never existed, I wouldn't have a job. So it's like, you know, it's these two things that are like, you can have one or the other, or you can learn how to deal with both. Yeah. So, so I got two last questions. So one is I'd love to have your perspective, especially the way you answer that last question. Um, we've all, we've all in life had that, that feeling of, uh, isolation. I'm all alone. Uh, nothing's working. It's not going my way. Like, you know, the 800 pound gorilla is just crushing me. Um, what do you say to that person who's just down in the dumps to get him to pull their head out of their you-know-what and get back at it? I think my biggest thing is sort of what I touched on earlier is you are your biggest influence in your life. Yes, you can have lots of people that you look up to and you admire and you, you know, want to learn from, but again, you are the one that decides what your world is going to look like every day. So if you feel like things are horrible right now and you think there is literally nothing that's going to change, there is something that's going to change. And it could start with something as small as I'm waking up today and I'm going to say something positive. 
start there. It could be that small. Continue to challenge yourself to change your mindset of not always being so down on yourself. Don't always be so negative about yourself. Even if there are so many people who are constantly telling you you're not good enough or you're not smart enough, that's your time and that's your perfect exercise in your mind to tell yourself, yes, I am and yes, I will. And doing these things are slowly going to add up to something that's bigger and eventually lots of things are going to change. And I'm a firm believer that we all have these paths that are set out for us. And sometimes we feel like we're completely lost and there's absolutely no way that we can get a map and find where we're going. But then there are some times where you can see someone and you'll ask them for help and they'll help guide you in the right direction. And so my goal for what, what I'm doing is that I can be that person that's helping you say there, your path is there. You know, you might not see it and I might not see it, but it's there and you're going to get to it. And in order for you to get to that path, you have to be the one that's driving that car and the one that's saying, I'm going to go find it. I'm going to go on this path. I don't know what's ahead and it could be scary. There could be dead ends, but I'm going to continue to go and find my way and push my way through it. So it's, it's you, it's your life. You're the one in charge of it and you're the one who's going to make it the best that it could possibly be or not. Have you ever met David Goggins? No. Do you know who I'm talking about? You... No. We're going to, okay, and you didn't know about Ted in 2013 either. All right, so uh, for all my listeners, you remember my interviews uh, with David Goggins. David Goggins, you, you basically just channeled a very similar message. You know, when I asked him, like, what do you say to that person? He's like, it's all you. Like, he's a former military, uh, very intense. Um, but he's like, no one's going to save you. Get off your ass. Right. Like you just got to start like it's it's and, and I'm also like a huge fan of what you said. Like it's people people don't realize the power of just one positive decision compounded every day over a week, over 90 days, over a year, how that can completely transform everything. Everybody's looking for the quick hit, quantum leap, instant change, you know, thin thighs in 30 days or less without diet and exercise. It doesn't exist. I mean, it, it took you it years to because of all these with social media you post something and you have that instant gratification of all of these likes or the comments or the shares and it's like i need change in my life so i'm going to post something that's probably filtered and completely changed from what it actually is but the second that i get this sort of attention or confirmation of you know people are liking what i do then you have these like two minutes of feeling like oh i did something great like i accomplished something but then you're exactly back to where you started so in the real world when you're wanting to do something that's you know different or changing and you don't have those hearts or those likes or the numbers or the comments immediately you just think it's not working yeah you you rock oh thanks yeah (laughs) so all right so my last question is uh kind of two parts like you know what's the what's the thing that you want to say to all of our listeners kind of as we wrap it up Um, but I also want to know before that, like, what's the future look like for you? What's, what's going to happen in the next three, four, five, six years? What's the next big thing for you? I have no idea. (laughs) Okay. Um, you know, I feel like since, since my Ted talk, every project, everything that I did came one right after another, there was never this gap of time of, 
okay, what I'm going to do next? Because as I was finishing one thing, I'd get an opportunity to do another thing. And this past year, it's like the things kind of stopped. And at first I was telling myself this was by choice. But then I was like, no, this kind of isn't all by choice. So then I went into thinking like, did I reach my pinnacle already? Like, am I, am I done? Am I old news? Like, what else do I have to say? But realizing that just because opportunities aren't knocking at your door over and over and over, it doesn't mean they're not there. And so now I'm in this space of I'm very grateful that I'm having to really challenge myself and really say, what do you want to do? Because I have this incredible platform that I don't take lightly. And it's, I see it as my responsibility to continue to do whatever I can to help others. But I also know that I am getting older and I do see things a lot differently than when I was 15 or 14, you know, back then and wanting to tell my story. So now I'm in a place where I am absolutely going to continue speaking because it's absolutely my passion. But I really want to focus on things that I've always wanted to do, but haven't had the chance. And that comes in the form of wanting to do a project for kids. And I, I feel like my audience has grown up with me from being preteens to, you know, having this adult life now. But I've always wanted to do a project for kids. So um, I think I wrote about this in the book um, in elementary school when I was, you know, being picked on the most my dad would go with me on the first day of school and basically introduce me to my class because I realized that kids are afraid of what they don't understand. So they see, see someone who's in a wheelchair and they'll stare. They see someone who's overweight and they'll you know, make a comment. So there's all these things. So my dad would go and introduce me and basically say, this is Lizzie, she looks different, but she's just like you. So it really made a difference because now they understand like, yes, I'm different, but I'm just like them. And so it helped a lot, you know, with the, the kids in the classroom that I saw every day. And so what I want to do now is I want to be that introduction for kids who are different, who might not have that person who's able to go talk to their classroom. So whether it's a kid's book series, whether it's something animated, having the main characters either have a disability or come from a different background or just look different, having that be the introduction that my dad was for me. So I don't know what that's going to come out to look like, but that's what I want to do. I, uh, what do you guys think? My team's over here going, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a, a friend of mine wrote his first kid's book. Uh, he wrote a book called The Alter Ego, and then he wrote a uh, story that would be almost like Dr. Seuss-esque. Um, and he was like, I'm just putting myself out there. I just think, you know, that more people need to, you know, be able to sort of in their imagination, put on the cape and be that confident, you know, young girl or young boy when maybe they wouldn't normally be. He writes this book. He just told me Pepsi just bought 20,000 copies and they're giving one to like every one of their employees. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. So I was like, Todd, yes. And you know what, Lizzie? Like for that person and I don't even know him. That's for huge. sure. Well, but listen, you're next girl. You're next. So I think you need to start noodling on that next book. It's time. It is. I definitely think it's time. Like this past year was a very difficult year and really figuring out what am I going to do next? And, and I, I was told by 
by a company who I had been really wanting to work with. Um, and we'd been in talks for a while and, you know, I checked in at the beginning of the year and they said, you know, we talked about it and we just don't think you have much to say anymore to these audiences. And so I think that just really hit me hard and knocked me down for a while and was like, are they right? Do I really not have anything else to say? And so luckily I'm out of that whole mindset and back to, yes, I have a lot to say. Yes. So, you know, it's just these, these moments. And, and this is, I would have never told anyone this story before. I would have never told anyone that someone said, you're not really good enough to do the profession that you do every day. But now I'm like, you know, I was told this and I'm not going to let this stop me. I allowed myself this time to feel sorry for myself and pick myself back up and just say, now I have this extra motivation of, I know there are people who think I'm done, but now I'm going to keep going to show them that I'm not. That's right. That's right. That goes back to the earlier conversation about just channeling. Sometimes we get that negative energy and there's just something powerful to channeling it and saying, hey, massive success is sometimes the best revenge. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you. Hey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I can't wait for the children's book or the series or whatever you decide to do with that. And when you do, you definitely got to come back out and we'll help you, you know, spread that word. Cause look at the end of the day, like you're speaking my language, anything that empowers kids, I'm all about. So love it. Yeah. And Hey, thank you. So, um, Instagram, they can follow you there. They should definitely go to YouTube. They should definitely watch your, uh, definitely watch all your stuff on YouTube. But the two TED Talks in particular for all my listeners, uh, whether you're listening or you're watching this on video, absolutely check it out. And let's get some books, right? Because this one, as you can see, had nothing good inside. There's no little extra notes next to it. All right. So Lizzie, thank you so much. And we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Take care. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.